Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to all of our fathers out there today. Please take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 2. John's Gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 2. As we continue our survey through this incredible book, as we learn more about the life of Christ, starting at verse 1 today in our study of John 2. Here we read, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana, in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Have you ever run out of wine? I have many times, but not the wine you're thinking about. Perhaps you ran out of financial resources, or you ran out of time or you ran out of stamina and endurance, or perhaps you ran out of patience. Perhaps you came to the end of yourself, where you were at the end of your rope with no hope in sight, longing for relief, longing for someone to come and save the day. God has seen Kathy and I through many shortages and financial crises many times over the years. In 1987, Kathy and I started a business from scratch. Just after a few short years, we were running out of resources to keep it afloat. In 2001, we planted a church. We supplemented our income with the proceeds of selling our business and through teaching at local colleges, but the business income was running out. In 2010, I took a position as an executive pastor at a large church and Christian school in Granger, Indiana with a $2 million budget and 30-plus employees, including career pastors and teachers. After only a few months on the job, I discovered that the whole enterprise was running out of money to the tune of about half a million dollars, and everyone was looking to me to fix it. In 2014, I became the lead pastor of another church in Indiana, that was financially upside down, where the expenses were exceeding the income by $8,000 per month. And once again, I was the one everyone was looking to to fix it. In every one of these cases, and there are more, not only were the resources short, 
but I was having to absorb each crisis personally, either financially with my own limited resources or emotionally as I was tasked with holding everything together. All of us have run out of wine from time to time. When we face a major crisis or a major turn of events, when our greatest fears overcome us unexpectedly, when that happens, as we will see today in our study, we often try to fill our own cup. But we need to wait on Jesus, submitting to his authority. We need to be obedient, following the Lord's direction. Jesus is the only one who can ultimately fill our cup. He is always at work behind the scenes, helping us and sustaining us. He knows precisely what we need. He's the one who will bring us life. He's the one who gives us everything we need to believe in him. Our message series is That You May Believe. This week, we're looking at the best is yet to come. Our author is John, the apostle. The apostle of Jesus Christ, perhaps the very best friend of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. John, the evangelist, the apostle, not to be confused with John, the Baptist, that John the apostle writes about here in John 1 and subsequently in John 3, as we'll see. But the main purpose of John's writing is found in John 20, verse 31, where he says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, today I have three spiritual truths that point to the reality that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, the best is really yet to come. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to these short 11 verses about the first miracle you, you did, oh God, help us to understand what this is about, that we might find meaning, not only through what we read, but in our own lives for what this all means Lord, we ask that you would attend to us by the power of your spirit as we open your word. Humble us, Lord, that we might be teachable. So, Lord, be our guide. Change us, mold us, make us into that which would be beautiful in your sight. Thank you for this brief moment that we have to look at these things, Lord. Help us not to miss anything. We pray all this in your son's awesome and wonderful name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. And I hope you have your Bible along with you here. Again, we're in John 2. The first truth is simply this. All of us have run out of wine from time to time. Notice what it says in verse 1 of our text. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples when the wine ran out. Notice that it says on the third day, we're on our way up to Cana. Let's take a look at a map. I think I've got a map in here. There it is. So they were in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan there, on the bottom right of the red arrow, and then moving up to the left there up to Cana. They probably would have gone up the Jordan River Valley up towards Galilee, and then from the Galilee region up to Cana. So that arrow doesn't necessarily denote an actual path of travel, but it shows you where things are. But that's where we are on our map. So on the third day, it says, to begin with, John the Baptist was confronted by the priests and Levites, as we've already studied, about who he was, the scene that opens in Bethany beyond the Jordan. 
So that was the first stage. John the Baptist in verse 29 of chapter 1 points to Jesus by proclaiming, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus acquires Andrew, John, and Peter as his first three disciples. On day 2 in verse 43 of chapter 1, Jesus acquires Philip and Nathaniel as disciples. And he purposed to go into Galilee up towards that big freshwater lake. And then day 3, on his way to Cana. Cana of Galilee, for a wedding, traveling at a rate of about 36 miles each day for two days, covering a total distance of about 50 miles for the trip by foot. There was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Notice we're also, by way of that map we had a moment ago, if you have one in the back of your Bible, it'll show there too, we're near Nazareth. This is really the hometown for a lot of these guys that Jesus is now hanging out with by way of his disciples. Some of them, like Peter, were from Capernaum on the north end of the Sea of Galilee there. And Nazareth is just a little southwest of Cana. So this is, this is a family wedding. We don't know whose wedding it is, but it's a big deal. Probably people who are, have some circumstance, some wealth, and they're inviting all the friends and neighbors to this big shindig. In all likelihood, it probably took several days. Friends and neighbors for miles around had been invited. All of us have run out of wine from time to time. First of all here, sometimes we run out of wine when we are faced with major crises. A crisis shows up. Verse 3, we have the crisis. Did you see it? When the wine ran out. All of us have run out of wine. All of us have found ourselves in the middle of a crisis. Here, Jesus finds himself right in the middle of a wedding crisis, right in the middle of a wedding celebration. The main beverage has run out. Beloved, this is a major social blunder. Mind you, at this time, there are no soft drinks. There's no punch, no Kool-Aid, no good drinking water, no other refreshment for the wedding but wine. And... At an event like this, it was customary to serve the wine with three parts water for the wine to last, so there would be enough for everybody. It was also quite common to serve the freshest wine first to your guests, and then towards the end of the event, the older, more bitter wine would be served. All of us have been in a crisis at one point or another where somehow we came to the end of ourselves. And you know the kind of crisis I'm talking about. The death of a loved one, perhaps. A relationship that's falling apart or going the wrong way. Finances in shambles. The loss of a job. A major health setback. Major depression or anxiety where you just don't feel like even getting out of bed anymore. A life-dominating sin, perhaps. A life-dominating habit that's controlling you. Substance abuse, alcoholism, tobacco. We've all been in the crisis. Are you in the middle of a major crisis right now? Have you just gone through one? Or do you see one looming on your horizon? All of us have run out of wine from time to time in our lives. But secondly here, when we're faced with a catastrophic turn of events, all of a sudden something suddenly changes. Here it's the middle of a wedding and all of a sudden, ah, no wine. What do we do? Or perhaps a combination of things. It's been said that there are at least five major life traumas. Five, you ready? Death of a spouse or dear loved one. Divorce, a major move, major job loss or change, major illness. And sometimes you get a combination of those things. 
What's really tough is when you end up going through several of these events all at once, when it seems that everything is going the wrong way. Some of you have already gone through the ringer. Some of you are going through the ringer even right now. Not only is there no wine, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't even think I have a bottle. All of us have run out of wine from time to time. When we are faced with catastrophic turn of events, or thirdly here, when our greatest fears overcome us unexpectedly. All of a sudden, everything is hitting the fan and there's nothing you can do. Now, I'll admit, the loss of wine at a wedding in the whole scheme of things is no really big deal. But for whatever you're going through, it's a big deal. And by the way, for the couple that's getting married that day at that time, it was a big deal. By the way, I've done a few weddings. I've been there. I've been there when all of a sudden something's wrong and the bride is not doing very well. I remember I was uh, doing a wedding in Budapest, Hungary, and uh, it's an outdoor wedding. And just for a moment, a cloud came over and it started to sprinkle and the bride was in tears beside herself because my wedding day is ruined. Five seconds later, the cloud moved on and no more rain the rest of the day. Everything turned out okay. But when you're in the crisis, even though nobody else understands it or gets it, you get it, you understand it. Why? Because you know it. You know it better than anyone. It's your story. It's your issue. It's your concern. When our greatest fears overcome us unexpectedly, where there's no more resources, no more patience, no more energy, no more emotional bandwidth, we should say. All of us have run out of wine from time to time, haven't we? But secondly, what happens when we come to those places We often try to fill our own cup, don't we? We've all tried to fill our own cup. Oftentimes when we realize that we are in trouble, our first instinctive reaction is to find a way to handle things ourselves. In essence, we try to fill our own cup. Only over time do we realize that that doesn't really work, does it? Think about it. What resources do you or I have to fill our own cups? I'm already... Fresh out of Bradley, do I need more Bradley? No, that's not going to help. That won't make the difference. If you think about it, even for just half a second, we realize that that's just plain ridiculous. You can't get blood out of a turnip. First of all here, we need to wait on Jesus. The crisis has been named. They've run out of wine. And then the mother of Jesus, oh, good, mom's here. Good, mom, got to have mom. And mom says to Jesus, they've run out of wine. Did you notice? They don't have any wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now Mary seems to be saying to her son, Jesus, come on, you know who you are and what you can do. This is your chance to let everyone know who you are. Come on, come on. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, come on. When we read this, we're kind of taken aback. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Doesn't sound very nice. Turns out the word in Greek is gune. And gune is a Greek word, a feminine term of endearment. Basically, dear woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 
Jesus is saying, it's not time for me to go public in a major way here. Let me begin my ministry quietly, Mom. As this event unfolds, in the end, only a very few people understand what Jesus did here. We'll see this later. Stay tuned for that motif. Only his disciples and a few other servants at the wedding knew what Jesus did that day. Jesus has two major concerns with going too public, too fast. If people find out who he really is, they will either try to make him a king or they will kill him. But even with Mary's request, Jesus says, you need to wait. My hour has not yet come. Similarly, we too need to wait on Jesus' timing in our lives. He knows what to do for us, in us, and through us. And he knows when to move on our behalf for us, in us, and through us. Years ago, I went through my own personal crisis as a young man where I wanted to get married. But the girls I kept picking were always a disaster. I don't know if anybody have any experience like that. I couldn't find the right one. I finally had to give up looking and I had to talk with God and say, okay, I'm going to wait. You're going to have to bring her to me. You'll have to figure it out. And by God's grace, he did. There she is. And she's awesome. I'm so glad I waited. Believe me, I'm so glad I waited. (laughs) But beloved, we need to wait on Jesus. We need to cry out to God in our need. He's the one who can straighten things out even when we want to handle things our own way in our own time. And as we wait on God, he is the one who can make all the difference in his time. We need to wait on Jesus. But secondly here, we need to submit to Jesus' authority. Notice what mom says. Mom isn't mad. Woman, no, dear woman, that's what it really would say. Dear woman, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Just do what he says. That's submission. Submission to authority. Here, Mary submitted to her own son. We too need to submit to Jesus. Isn't that quite an irony? She submits to the boy. He's 30 years old, mind you. James 4, verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you hear that? God opposes the proud. If you're full of you, God's in opposition to you. But he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James says. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, we have this idea that I got to exalt myself. No. Humble yourself. Let him bring you up in his time, in his way. Why? He can handle it and do it way better than you can. You'll recall that even Job was submitted to God and all that he went through. Remember, Job lost it all at one point. Talk about a bad day. Talk about running out of wine. Job 121, listen to what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's his conclusion. God's got this. I don't like it. It's difficult, but God can handle it. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him, that is Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, we need to submit to Jesus's authority, wherein we finally come to that place where we finally kneel before him and say, okay, you've got this. I can't deal with it. Have you submitted yourself to Christ? Have you bent your knee to your king? Instead of telling Jesus what to do, have you concluded, whatever you say, I will do it, not my will, but your will be done? We need to submit to Jesus's authority. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with people when it was very clear, the very end of the discussion, they would not bend their knee to Christ. And so what do you think happened? Nothing. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. And they went off into destruction. Some who are no longer even on the planet anymore because they would not submit. We need to submit to Jesus' authority. But thirdly here, we need to obediently follow the Lord's direction. In verse 6, we learn there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. You understand how big that is? 20 or 30 gallons. How much did you put in your gas tank recently? 20 or 30 gallons. This isn't like a little bucket. This is a big ceramic pot. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Notice he gives simple steps, simple guidelines. Fill the water pots with water. Can you imagine these guys hearing this? They're out of wine, Jesus. <laughs> Fill the pots with water. By the way, how are they going to do that? There's no faucet. There's no hose. That means you've got to go get a bunch of pails or buckets or pots and fill up the big pot. How many of them? Six. That's going to take some time. That's going to take some effort. And they're like, why are we doing this? We, they need wine. What do, and then the craziest thing. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Okay, let me see if I got this straight. Okay, we're, we just filled these all up with water, and now you want me to take some water to the master. Here's some water. But they do it. They do it. So they took it. They filled it. They took it. They're obedient. Beloved, we too need to be obedient. We need to obediently follow the Lord's direction in all of our lives with all that he has said. Simple little requests that God gives us, but we often object in our hearts and in our actions and our attitudes where he says, love your enemy. Oh, come on. No, really, love your enemy. Wait until you're married. Young people, that's what it says. Wait until you're married. Don't consummate your marriage before you're married. Wait. It's not a tough request. Don't be drunk with wine. Give to the Lord's work. Honor your marriage vows. Turn away from evil. Submit yourself to him. Trust me, Jesus says. Deny yourself. 
Pick up your cross, follow me, Jesus says. Beloved, we need to obediently follow the Lord's direction. They're not complicated thoughts. But there's some things we, oh, I don't want to do that. But all the blessings, all the riches of all that he has for us is in what he has for us in obedience. We have this idea that God's holding out on me. I want to have a lot of fun. You want all the fun, all the joy? It's through trusting him and following him, obeying him. We sang last week, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. It's not that complicated. We're the ones who complicate it, right? Oh, I think I got a better way. No, there's no other way. Sorry, that's what the song said. I'm just going to go with it. That's where we find joy in following after what he has to say. We need to obediently follow the Lord's direction. We need to submit to Jesus' authority. We need to wait on him. Let's not keep trying to fill our own cups. Lastly today, don't miss this. Jesus is the one who can fill our cup. Not a complicated thought. He's the one who can fill our cup. Whatever you're missing, whatever you're out of, he can handle it and he can fill it. Why is it that we only look to Jesus as our last resort instead of our first resort? He is the only one who can fill our cup. He is the only one who can fill our cup. First of all here, He's always at work behind the scenes, helping us and sustaining us. Sometimes we're in the middle of stuff, we're like, man, what is going on? What's going to change? What's going to be different? He's at work. He's doing things. He's making a difference if we trust him. Notice what it says in verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Are you seeing what's happening here? Nobody knows what's going on. It's all behind the scenes. Only a few people. The servants, it says, they knew. The disciples knew. Mom knows. That's about it. Sometimes we think of this particular miracle, we go, boy, and everybody freaked out. No, just a very few people saw this happen. Not even the head waiter or the bridegroom. Can you imagine the bride, bridegroom? The head waiter comes up and says, boy, you've served the best stuff here. This is awesome. The bridegroom's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But even now with whatever you're going through, God is already at work behind the scenes making a way for you. He has it all figured out. He can handle it. He can handle it. Why? Why is it that he's the one who can handle it? Because secondly, he knows precisely what we need. He knows what you're missing. He knows your, what, he knows your cup and he knows what's not in it. Verse 10 the guy says to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. The bridegroom's like, I did? <laughs> Basically, the master of the feast says, you saved the best for last. The best is yet to come. 
And that is so true for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. The best is yet to come. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how empty your cup is. The best is yet to come. Scripture talks about his filling our cup to overflowing. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You mean I've got an inheritance with God? Yeah, he can handle it. He will fill the cup that you're longing to have filled. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? It's all about whether or not you believe or not. Are you in Christ through faith? And now you have access to all his glorious inheritance. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything as loss, Paul says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, oftentimes we think of the stuff that we're missing. There's something you're missing way more than stuff. It's him. That's who will ultimately satisfy you. He's the one who will ultimately fill your cup. Paul says, I count everything, all the stuff, if you will, as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish, garbage. In the Greek, dung heap. Yeah, it's, it's vulgar. That's what it all is compared to knowing Jesus. In order that I may gain Christ, Beloved, the best is really yet to come. Do you believe that? Oh, boy, I hope you do, because that's what will sustain you in the midst of an empty cup. That's what will hold you together when you look to the there and the then that he has for us. Revelation 21, we get a picture of the there and the then. John writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. By the way, this is all that God has ever wanted, where I get to be God and you get to be my people. That's all I've ever wanted. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Did you hear that? Every tear wiped. There's no more intimate expression, is there? Somebody wiping a tear. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Beloved, he really knows what you're longing for and what you need. He knows precisely what we need. But not only that, he's the one who will bring life. He brings us life. Don't miss this, because this is the whole point. Look what happens in verse 11. We get a little parenthetical insert, a little, oh, by the way, comment. John writes, by the way, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, and manifested his glory. Huh, just thought I'd throw that in. Now, that was his first one. And you go, why are we being told that? Why does that matter? Why does it matter that we know what Jesus' first miracle is? And what's the big deal in the water and the wine thing? It's his first act of ministry. Jesus does this amazing thing. He turns water into wine. And we go, what's so significant about that? 
Remember, throughout John's gospel here, as we study, John is longing to present Jesus as a bigger and better Moses. What was Moses' first major miracle in Egypt? Do you remember? What was the first thing that Moses did? What, what, what is it? What did he do? He turned water into blood. Oh, ding, 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 light bulb. Exodus 7, 14 to 25, you can read it there, the first plague against Pharaoh. Again, in John's gospel, John is purposing to put Jesus forward as a bigger and better Moses. You think Moses is something? Have you seen Jesus? Through Moses' inaugural miracle, God brought death and destruction against his enemies, the Egyptians, turning the water into blood. Here, with Jesus' first miracle, he brings life and celebration. God is not out to destroy us, but to give us life. He wants to give you life. By the way, he says, I want you to have it abundantly. John told us, as we've already studied, studied in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Paul writes to Timothy and says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He came to give us life, to save us from even ourselves, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you want to find your life? It's in Jesus. Only in Jesus. He knows what we need he will bring us life. He is always at work behind the scenes helping us and sustaining us. The best is really yet to come. Notice in verse 11, it also has this little tagline. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. How is his glory revealed here? Through this first miracle, God reveals the glory of Christ. Beloved, we need to recognize his glory. John said earlier in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God is revealed in Jesus. It's called God sightings. We should be able to look at our lives and look at the, the rearview mirror and go, man, did you see what God did back there? That was awesome. Amazing things he has done. The glory of God. Even for us. He's the one who will bring us life. And lastly today, he gives us everything we need to believe in him. Maybe some of you are wrestling with this today. Maybe somebody invited you to come to, come, come to church with me today and you're here which is great. We're glad to have you. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. And maybe you're still waiting for more evidence. I don't know if I can buy this stuff. I need more evidence. I just want to go, well, how much evidence do you need? Do you need to drink the whole ocean to know that it's salty? No. Scripture says, taste and see. Who he is. He gives us everything we need to believe. And his disciples, it says in verse 11, his disciples believed in him. 
he only did one miracle. They're like, you're the guy. Remember Nathaniel last week was freaking out. You knew me before I met you? Because I was over by the fig tree? You're awesome. Jesus, I haven't seen anything yet. Just hang out a little bit longer, would you? He gives us all the evidence we need to believe in him. The water had been turned into wine, and now his disciples are finally coming to grips with who they're dealing with. Who is this Jesus? God always gives us just enough to believe in him. Acts 16, 31. Paul and Silas say to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. As we've read previously in John 20, verse 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The question this morning is, do you believe? You need to believe. The best is yet to come. I mentioned several crisis points for Kathy and I in our lives together. They mentioned at the beginning of this message, in every case, God came through in an amazing way. Three years into our business, two area agents retired, and within a, a two-month period, my agency tripled. Our ship had finally come in, and the business took off. With our church plant, when all my resources ran out, God took care of us through the generosity of God's people, the small little church. Every bill we ever had was always paid. With the church with the half a million dollar shortfall, God brought in all that we needed and we ended the year in the black. It was a miracle. With the church that was spending 8,000 more each month than it was bringing in, God turned that situation completely around. And again, we ended in the black. In every one of these circumstances, along with all the other ones I didn't mention, God has always been faithful to us always been faithful to me and my family in all things. And what we continue to see is that the best is yet to come. Beloved, all of us have run out of wine from time to time. When we face a major crisis or a major turn of events, when our greatest fears overcome us unexpectedly, when, when that happens, we often try to fill our own cup, but we need to wait on Jesus, submitting to his authority. We need to obediently follow the Lord's direction he is the only one who can fill our cup. He is always at work behind the scenes, helping us and sustaining us in more ways than you can imagine. He knows precisely what we need. He knows what you need. He's the one who will bring you life. He's the one who gives us everything we need to believe in him. How much more data do you need? We have all that we need. And so are you running out of wine this morning? Are you waiting on him? Are you submitting to his authority? Are you obediently following him? He's always working behind the scenes. Will you trust him? Would you please stand as we close our service today? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your outrageous faithfulness to even us. Oh God, you've been so good. And Lord, oftentimes we're just so impatient. We want to...
want everything in our, in our world right now the way we want it. And you're calling on us to grow and develop faith muscles in our lives, trusting you at every turn for whatever is lacking. And Lord, you know the hearts before me. You know what people are wrestling with. You know the cups that seem empty. Lord, it's my prayer that you would fill each cup up, not just with the stuff, but with you. Because you're the one that we ultimately need. You're all that we need. And that we'd hold on to you no matter how difficult things are becoming or what bad direction things might be taking. You are our God and you are sufficient. So Lord, thank you for this beautiful example of how you saved a wedding and nobody knew about it, but a very few. Lord, help us to learn about that. Help us to grow in that, to mature in trusting you knowing that you know exactly what we need. So Lord, help us to wait. Help us to submit. Help us to be obedient. Trusting you for it all. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your work in our hearts by the power of your spirit today through your word. May we not just hear these things, but may we walk in them, Lord. Thank you. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a beautiful rest of your day and a happy Father's Day.